0: Lord, today we want to bring an offering that is acceptable unto you. In fact, it's just reasonable worship to present ourselves to you as living sacrifices. Thank you, Lord, for being here with us today. For releasing to us, Lord, your heart. And now, Lord, we open ourselves to you. And we say yes to the King of kings and Lord of lords. We say yes to the word you have to speak to our hearts today. We say yes to the transformation that you are bringing. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Just for a moment before I uh, bring the word, I just want to brag a little bit on our wonderful staff here um, who uh, did an incredible job in preparing last night's uh, Growing Together, Embracing Our Future event at the Union Gospel Mission. Uh, it was an incredible evening, uh, and several hundred people gathered uh, together to remember uh, Martin Luther King's dream, and, and to allow the, in um, Psalm 145 it says, one generation shall commend your works to another, and usually we think of that as the older generation commending the works to the younger, but last night it was the younger generation commending the works to the older. So um, my thanks uh, to uh, our handsomest pastor on staff, Pastor Ben, uh, to Cherry Monge, uh, who did incredible stuff behind the scenes, Mishan Gudapati, Uh, who did an incredible work with the kids, to Peterson uh, for helping lead the Radiate Student Band, Uh, Tyler, Hannah, working all kinds of stuff behind the scenes as well, as well as multiple, multiple other uh, helpers and, uh, you know, just support folks. It was an incredible evening. Uh, So, so grateful for the work of the Lord uh, last night. And so I just want to say to them and to you as a body of just a wonderful Wonderful staff here who do incredible stuff, uh, not just on behalf of Bethel Christian Fellowship, but for the city, and uh, and beyond. And our um, our speakers were amazing. Uh, we had three young speakers, two of whom are part of this congregation, uh, and uh, they they were just amazing uh, speakers. So uh, we have Ellen uh, uh, Button. Thank you for. Uh, he had recorded the whole service and that sort of thing, so there may be opportunity. I, w- I want to get a hold of the, the uh, speeches that they made, because uh, I was talking to Pastor Coleman afterwards, and both of us uh, have been in ministry quite a while now, and both of us were quite clear that neither of us could have done nearly as uh, significant a job or brought a significant as significant a word as those young people did yesterday, so it was, it was great. So let's give the Lord thanks. He is so good, and uh, praise his name. Yeah. And one more shout out for our kids—they were—they were fabulous. The All Nations Kids Choir. Wow, there was about sixty of them, and uh, they started here at church at three thirty, and uh, were there through the uh, through the event. They were just amazing. It was just truly incredible. So, well, um, good morning again. And uh, today uh, we sort of officially begin our. Uh, well, last, last week we officially began, and, and now we're stepping into our year of favor, 2015. And those of you that weren't present uh, with us last week, um, just going to take a, a few moments to kind of reorient us to what this year of favor is about. But you can get the full message online, or there are CDs and, and uh PowerPoint in the back that you can pick up, and I would encourage you actually to do so because it will be very helpful for you through this coming year as we continue to press out together as a congregation in this year of favor. So um, our prophetic picture for the year of favor was uh, out of Esther, and so I encourage you to also spend some time there. Reread the story because it is amazing when you look at uh, Esther and how many times, in fact multiple times throughout the book of Esther, it, it speaks of the favor of God being upon her. But what we particularly noted last week were some pr- some principles from Esther's life which postured her to receive the favor of God and for the favor of God then to be able to flow through her. First of all was her humility. And I defined humility last week, and, and uh, it's one working definition of humility that has been significant and impactful for me down through the years. It's a profound awareness of one's own inadequacy and of God's adequacy. So it's something that I think is fundamental to our life in Christ, is having a profound awareness of our own inadequacy and a profound awareness then of God's adequacy. Secondly, there is this issue of availability. Um, availability means a selfless positioning of oneself for kingdom service. It's a selfless positioning of ourselves for kingdom service. So it's a recognition that I'm not here to be served, but I'm here to serve. It's that shift in our concept and our understanding, and this is a, this is a very significant and important shift, particularly, I would say, in the American church where we are um, immersed in a consumer culture, well, that consumer culture just um, winds its way into the church. Now, I don't go to the mall very often. Uh, in fact, I, I avoid them at all costs. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, Annette and I had a, had a date night overnight and day, and we wanted to do some walking, and it was too cold to be walking outside at that particular day. So we went down to the... Great mega mall, and uh, I hadn't been there in a very, very long time. And uh, frankly, it was just overwhelming. Uh, for one thing, it was just I was just like, ah, <laughs> too much. Um, but you know, just if 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 you don't like the jeans in this shop, all you got to do is walk 15 steps down, and you got jeans in another shop. If you don't like that, you can walk 15 more steps and and around for like miles. Of places, you know, I'm like, how do all they, how do they all survive? Is there that many people buying that many jeans? But anyway, um, or whatever it is, you know. But but sometimes we bring that same concept into the church, and we find ourselves with sort of a consumer attitude. Well, you know, if I, if I don't like the the look here, I can always, you know, or the the buffet here, I can go to the buffet line there. But really back to you know our president uh, Kennedy when he said it's not what your country can do for you it's what you can do for your country it's not what the it's not just consuming what the kingdom brings to you it's contributing to the work of the kingdom in the world that's where availability that's being in selfless service does that make sense okay and that's a shift and so i just you know a heads up for who we are as a congregation our goal is not to to have vast crowds of consumers it's rather to have um, continue to grow deeper and develop more contributors into the kingdom, okay is that at least my understanding of what discipleship's about, okay so yes, we will receive I, I, you know it 's not that we don 't receive things as part of the favor of God, but it 's really about being available to allow that favor to flow through us and that brings us to this issue of responsibility because we each have a responsibility to willingly engage faithfully in our position of influence. So, you know, in Esther, remember the famous words of Mordecai, and we all know those words, for such a time as this. Who knows, but that God has placed you here for such a time as this. Who knows, but that God has placed you in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your home, in your school, in your uh, area of influence, whatever that looks like, for such a time as this. Hello? And responsibility is the ability to respond. It's the ability to say, yes, I will do what I have been given the opportunity to do. And finally, when we do that, when those first three are in place, when the posture has shifted, and there's a humility and availability, and we step out in responsibility, then we have authority a confidence to step out in God's favor with courage and boldness. That's what gives us that authority. So Esther, when the time came, and she came before the king, yes, there was trembling, but the king extended his scepter to her, and in extending his scepter to her, she then received from the king that favor, which allowed her then to speak out with courage and boldness. That's the authority. And the, and the place where the, as we were talking about that this week uh, with some of the, the family of church pastors and others again, is that the place where the analogy of Esther breaks down is Esther is coming trembling to the king, hoping that he will extend his scepter to her. But we have a king who we know has already extended the scepter. And so therefore, we can approach the throne of grace, as it says in Hebrews 4, with boldness, with confidence, knowing that he has already extended his scepter to us. Okay? So, now, Liz, in her creative talents, put together a a beautiful poem, which captures these principles from Esther's life. And she entitled it for such a time as this. And there is a, a bookmark that is available on the back table. Many of you got that last week uh, as part of, you know, you got it with your lifeline. But in case you didn't get a bookmark, I would encourage you to get one of these because it will help reinforce these principles in your life. And it'll also, it also just has a, has a good use as a, as a bookmark, you know. So it's something that you'll be seeing and using. And you can put it right there in your Bible and be reminded over this year. For such a time as this, a young girl, taken from her home, may have seemed a grievous thing. She was sent into the harem of the conquering king for such a time as this. She'd offer honor and respect in all she'd say and do, for she'd been diligently taught which inner voices to obey for such a time as this. Positioned by God's spirit to reveal a traitor's hand, her valiant act of courage created hope throughout the land for such a time as this. In that most important moment, favor rested over her. She walked by faith and confidence into the destiny he'd stirred for such a time as this. In this, the year of favor, we trust God to impart all that we need to be equipped to give him our whole heart for such a time as this. I just love the various gifts that God has brought into the body. Thank you, Liz. We're using your gift in this way to bless us as Julie has with the banner and Greta with the, the uh, bulletin cover and, and last week Andy with the prophetic song and we just, all the ways in which God is, is using and weaving together this theme in our spirit. So Luke 4, 18, 19, Jesus in his first public message unrolls the scroll of Isaiah 61 and reads these words. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So here's what I want to offer to you as as an encapsulation of what I... this This is the heart of the prophetic word I believe that the Lord is speaking to us in this year, is that we are called to leverage the favor of God for the benefit of a wounded and waiting world. So the leverage of the the favor of God is not simply about bless me, Lord, but Lord, make me a blessing. Leverage your favor for the benefit of a wounded and waiting world. Which means that there is rest for the harassed and helpless. This is this is the this is the word, this is the message that we're proclaiming out of Luke 4, 18 and 19, and the year of Jubilee that's encapsulated in uh, Leviticus. It talks about the rest for the harassed and helpless, that there is release for the bound, and that there is restoration for the broken. This is the message that we are bringing to a wounded and waiting world. And so, my challenge to us today is this Where has God positioned you in your places of influence? And what is the message that's on your life that can be released into those places? for the benefit of that wounded and waiting world. Now, this morning, we're going to return to our study of the Gospel of Matthew. And so if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find the one located conveniently in front of you in the uh, seat rack there. This morning, we're going to talk about growing in favor. Growing in favor. We've come in our study of Matthew to Matthew 3, verses 13 to 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you, do you come to me? And Jesus replied, Let it be so now, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented, and as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased." I'd like us together to say that last line because it's going to become critical for our understanding of what the Lord wants to speak to us today about growing in favor. So let's say that line, that last line, starts with, this is my son, together. Would you say it out loud? This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, the context again for this passage is set up by the preceding passage that we looked at a couple of weeks ago in the first Sunday of January. And when John the Baptist comes, like this, this, this voice thundering in the wilderness, it had been 400 years. It had been 400 years of silence, 400 years of waiting to once again hear the voice of God. And now John the Baptist comes in the spirit of Elijah and begins to speak to the people of God and calls Israel to repentance. As Liz shared the word this morning out of Isaiah, the the people of God, I mean, they they were following a certain uh, ritual, a certain religious regulations, but their hearts were far from God. And, And John the Baptist does something quite radical in calling them to a baptism of repentance. Because for the typical Jew, they would say, well, why would I need to do that? I'm a child of Abraham, I'm a child of God, I don't need to go through this baptism of repentance. But John is calling them to a radical reorientation of their life around the reality of God. Not just the ritual of God. Calling them to a reorientation about, around relationship with God not just rules and regulations about God. And to do that, he calls them into this baptism of repentance, and then he talks about how one is going to be coming after him whose whose sandals he's not even fit to untie, but the one who is coming who is going to baptize them with the Holy Spirit, with fire, with wind, with power. And then... Suddenly, Jesus shows up on the scene. Now, if you remember, this is the the first time now that we see Jesus since, in, in Matthew's gospel, the first time since he was a child. So 30 years have gone past of preparation. And then there's some specific, which I won't go into because it really doesn't matter all that much to us, except for to say, Matthew uses some very specific language here to announce Jesus' arrival. It would be as if. Now, and, and, and please don't take this in a, in a, uh, a, 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 um, a way that, that, that diminishes what, what Matthew's doing here. I don't want to do that. But it's kind of like in a comic book when suddenly it says, Shazam! All right? <laughs> Matthew says, Shazam! Suddenly! Jesus appears. Matthew's out there, and Jesus arrives from Galilee. The word there, in, in, in this translation, the NIV, it's, it's very kind of weak. It says, then Jesus came. But it's actually, it, it's an announcing an arrival. All of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene. And he comes to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And John's like, What? I can't baptize you. I mean, and, and, and what is this about anyway, Jesus? Because Jesus is sinless. If anybody doesn't need to go through a baptism of repentance, it's Jesus, right? I mean, but Jesus is up to something bigger or even larger than, than the issue of repentance. He is coming to be baptized to identify himself with his people. This is another picture of Jesus' incarnation that he has come to be with us. So he willingly surrenders himself into the waters of baptism. And it becomes this incredible marking point at the very beginning of his ministry. Baptism is a symbolic expression of our dying to ourselves and our resurrection. And even Jesus is, is, is foreshadowing what's going to come in his own life when he dies, is buried, and raises from the dead. But right here at the very beginning of his ministry, he's foreshadowing the end of his ministry. And the end of his ministry becomes the beginning of our lives in ministry. So it's all woven together. It's all part of the same narrative. Do you get that? Do you see that? It's part of the same picture. And so the baptism of Jesus and what happens at the baptism of Jesus becomes a very significant event, not just for Jesus and for his future ministry, but it becomes a very significant event for you and for me. Because God has something that he wants to impress into our hearts today, that's related to his favor, and specifically related to growing in favor. All right, let's unpack this quickly here for a moment. Heaven opens. There have been a number of times in the Old Testament, as well as later on in the New Testament, where we have these pictures of heaven opening. In fact, in Ezekiel one one, it's very similar kinds of, of, of terminology that, and Matthew often references back to Old Testament uh, ana- allusions and analogies and, and pictures. In, in Ezekiel one one, it says, "In my thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God." He then added, "This is Jesus now in John one fifty one very truly 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 I'm telling you some, I'm telling you the truth this today you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of man. not only will the heavens be opened and I will see that but you will see that as well there have been perhaps a handful of times in my life where I have felt like I have seen the heavens open, where I have received what I would just call an open vision of God's presence, an open vision of him, or an open vision of the things going on. We can ask the Lord to open our eyes. We asked it this morning. Open our eyes. We want to see more. We want to see deeper. We want to go deeper. We heard the exhortation today. Heaven opens and the Spirit descends. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Again, As the the words here in Matthew and even the words that he uses evoke these earlier pictures of the Spirit of God coming. As it did in Genesis 8 when Noah was out and waiting for the waters to recede. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. And when the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. And then Noah knew that water had receded from the earth. So the dove became a picture, as it were, of the Spirit of God hovering and going, and the promise that, yes, new life would come. And the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus as a dove there at his baptism. And in Acts chapter 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. There was a tangible sense of the presence of God descending. I'm reading a book right now. In fact, I was reading it some this morning from a former member of ours who moved away down to uh, Missouri, um, Diane Glancy, who was a professor for many years here at McAllister, and she's written this incredible book called um, "Uprising of Goats." Um, it's fabulous. It's the voices of uh, biblical women speaking, and um, she talks about she's talking about Philip's uh, four daughters who prophesy, and she she she's imaginatively thinking er, she's imaginatively. Uh, sharing what they're experiencing uh, and what they've heard of the experience of being in the upper room, and and the wind blowing through, and the and the and the fire coming—it's incredible. It, would, it just brought me right there. It was it was so, so cool, so powerful. But that there is a tangible presence of God. The Spirit of God descends. Again, I've experienced this a handful of times in my life where I have felt the actual manifest presence of God. God is always present, but it's like the dew point. Water's always present in the air, but when the dew point happens, suddenly that water which is invisible becomes visible. That's what happens when the Spirit of God descends. All right. And then Father God speaks. And I had you read these words, but These words that Jesus heard, he being the living word, would have also heard again the echoes in his heart out of the scriptures from Psalm 2, verse 7. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. In Isaiah 42, 1, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Here is my servant, my chosen one, in whom I delight. This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. I am delighted. And that word, well pleased, is the same word as comes for us from a favor. This is the one on whom my favor rests. All right. I want to talk about two things this morning. I want to talk about our identity and our, and our destiny through the lens of Jesus' baptism here. So I've just given you a lots of context to get at the core, the central part. So if you're kind of drifting, drift back, okay? Come back in, all right? Come back in. Everybody, come back in. All right, because God's got something to speak into your heart today that you and I desperately need to hear and receive. This is, what I'm sharing with you today has been something that I have been learning in my entire walk with Christ over the last 50 years. It's something that's been my work, my adult work in my life for the last, you know, 30 years or more of adulthood, 35 years or however old I am now anyway, long time of being an adult, these are the things, okay? So if you're a kid here today, if you're a young person, my desire would for this to be established in your heart now so you don't have to wait until you're in your 40s or 50s to start figuring it out, all right? And if you're in your 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s, my desire today is it would be established in your heart in a fresh way today. Take it. That was my prayer at the altar this morning. Thank you for the worship team, the incredibly apropos uh, songs that we sang, and the words just brought us right there. And I was at at that altar, and I was saying, Lord, establish this afresh in me today so that it can be established afresh in us. So this issue of sonship, and if you're a female, please don't be put off by that. It's daughterhood, sonship, it's childhood, You know, but the easiest, the the scriptural term that's often used is is "sonship," but it's speaking of who we are at the very core and the very, the very center part of our identity. There's three words that I want to bring to you. And two, three years ago, when I was on retreat. The Lord gave me these specific words because I was looking at this particular passage and the Lord spoke these things to my own heart. So I bring them to you from my heart, from his heart to my heart to your heart today. The first is acceptance. All of us struggle with acceptance. Everyone in this room at one point or another wonders and has wondered if they're really accepted. And that's just a a human reality across culture, across uh, generation, across language, across all those things, this issue of acceptance. I want to share a couple of scriptures with you that you know and you've heard before, but I want you to hear them in a fresh way today. The first is from John Chapter 1, 12, and 13. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of a natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The fundamental reality of your identity is. That when you come to him, you become his kid. You've got earthly parents, yes. You came out of a natural mother's womb. That mother may still be your mother, or you may have been adopted, and you have another mother who you call mother or who has served that in your life in a natural human way or and father or you may not have or you may not know your father you may you may be here today and you don't know your mother or father but the reality today is i can tell you who your true most important parent is the parent the forever parent in your life is god the And he accepts you exactly the way you are. While we were yet sinners, he sent his son. He didn't wait for you to get good enough to accept you, he accepted you in all of the mess that you are. Aren't you glad? The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Would you say with me, I'm God's child? Say it again. Say it louder. I'm God's child. By Him we cry, Daddy, Daddy. The second, let's let's press this even just a little bit deeper, because is the issue really goes beyond just acceptance. This is my son. Whom I love. Here's the issue of affection. Now, here's the place where some of us might even struggle more than just with the acceptance. We, we get the acceptance at some level, but the affection, maybe not so much. You know, we think, well, God loves me, but if truth be told, he really doesn't like me very much. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that's ever thought that. Okay. But probably you have too. Because we get all twisted up and turned around inside. Particularly around the issues of discipline and punishment. We don't recognize the difference and distinction between the two. God disciplines us. And we heard that this morning, even that we're going to go through some challenging times. But the discipline isn't, you know, he's not punitive in the sense that he's not out to annihilate us. He's out to continue to transform our lives by his love. When we discipline our own children, it isn't because we've stopped loving them. It's because things that they're doing are not helpful to them or the world around them, and we need to help reshape or reorient or move them towards a pattern and a way of life that will bring them into fullness, into fruitfulness, into fulfillment. Right? Hello? Now, I'm wildly in love with my kids. I really am. I not only love them, I really like them a lot. After 30 years of parenting, there have been moments where I haven't liked what they've done very much at times, right? That's just reality. I'm sure my parents felt the exact same way about me. (laughs) I didn't always do everything. But I didn't stop loving them or liking them. There's a, there's a place or a feeling of affection toward. God has great affection for us. As the Father has loved me." Jesus says this. Now remember, God is speaking. the voice from heaven says, "This is my son whom I love." Jesus says, "As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. As wildly in love as God is with his son, that wildly in love is God and the son and the spirit in love with you. So remain in my love. There's a critical issue for us, to remain in his love. (laughs) We struggle with that. I do. Maybe I'm only preaching to me this morning. But if anybody else is listening, that's fine. You'll listen in on my musings here, but Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, knowing all these things were more than conquerors, through him who loved us. With great affection. So I'm going to have you do something that's going to be perhaps uncomfortable for you but i want you to just simply say this with me because this is this is reality god is wildly in love with me so say that with me god is wildly in love with me and some of you're going oh, no i just said it because pastor said to say it but i don't really believe it but whether we believe it or not it's true <laughs> I love what Brenda said this morning, you know, whatever, we, we, we put our unfaithful, you know, our lack of consistency, and we put it on God, and we think, you know, God doesn't have bad days. He didn't wake up this morning thinking, I'm just really not real happy with that person. I think I'm going to make life a little bit harder for them. No, he's wildly in love with you. His great affection is to And then there's the issue of approval because we all want that. Every child, look at me, look at me, look at me. <laughs> right? Do you like what I'm doing? I love Skyping with my grandkids. Have I told you about Fiona lately? Um, she's taken up the guitar, it's fabulous. She's two. And she's got this guitar that she got, I don't know how, some, some small guitar. And so she every time she's got to pull it out for us and sing Rudolph the Red Nose. It's fabulous. It should be on YouTube. Okay. But really it's just, look at me. More, and more, and more, fire. Do you see me? Do you approve of me? And God the Father said, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. I approve of you. I'm delighted with you. You didn't choose me, John 15 says. I chose you. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. I chose you. He approves of you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Say with me, God is delighted with me, God is delighted with me. He approves of you today. He's delighted with you. He's wildly in love with you. And he has opened his arms and accepted you. Let that just wash into your spirit. Just breathe it in. Oh, God, it's so good. That's his favor, people. That's the favor of God. That's what it looks like. That's what it feels like. That's what it is in reality. His grace extended to you and to me. And then out of that, we have a destiny. And our destiny is that of servanthood. Because even as the the dove was descending and the heavens were open and the Spirit of God was speaking, there was all of these echoes going on in Jesus' spirit about what this meant in terms of his calling as a servant of God. As it says in Isaiah 40, 42, it says, we already read, the first verse, here's my servant whom I've uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law the islands put their hope. So Jesus had a purpose. He received deeply, this approval, this acceptance, this affection of God, this identity as the Son of God in order to go forth as the servant of God, which requires three things. It first requires submitting. Jesus gave them this answer in John 5, 19 and 20, very truly, again, truly, truly, I'm telling you the truth, Jesus says, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. He only does what he sees the Father doing. He doesn't do what he chooses to do, but what the Father has spoken for him to do. So the more we're immersed in the love of God, the more we're immersed in our identity as his son, the more we begin out of that to submit to his will and purpose in our lives. The deeper our understanding comes of that submission to him. Submission is such a, Misunderstood, and it's almost a dirty word in our culture. It's something we never, you know, I'm not going to submit to anybody. But it's in submitting to him that is our true freedom and true peace. Suffering. Part of servanthood is suffering. This is why it was so important for Jesus to be marked at the very beginning of his ministry with the favor of God. We're going to look at some of that suffering next week when the Lord leads him into the temptation in the wilderness he says i want uh, paul says i want to know christ yes to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead i want to know the resurrection but i've got to go through the sufferings there isn't a resurrection without a death <laughs> right So as a servanthood, we're dying. We die to ourselves in order to live for him. We participate in his sufferings. And in another place, in Romans 5, Paul talks about participating in his sufferings, but also participating in his glory. They're inextricably connected. And finally, there's this sending that happens. As part of a servanthood, Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve. He says, I came to seek and to save the lost. In John chapter 12, uh, Jesus says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. We go where he goes. Many times I pray in the morning, or I pray through the day, and I say, Jesus, where are you today? I want to be with you where you are. Send me where you are today to do what you're doing today, so that together we might participate in the unfolding of this kingdom work. I've shared this story before here uh, two or three times, but it's been a little while, and it's a story that I shared just this last Wednesday with our leader and training apprentices, and I Remembered how much I loved the story again, and it so perfectly illustrates what we've just been talking about. So please, again, if you've been drifting, come back in and hear this story that kind of encapsulates what we've just talked about this morning. Once upon a time, in the heart of the Western kingdom lay a beautiful garden. And there in the cool of the day was where the master of the garden went to walk. Of all the denizens of the garden, the most beautiful and most beloved, was a gracious and noble bamboo. Year after year, bamboo grew more noble and gracious, conscious of his master's love and watchful delight, but modest and gentle withal. And often when wind came to revel in the garden, bamboo would cast aside his grave stateliness to dance and play right merrily, tossing and swaying and leaping and bowing in joyous abandon, leading the great dance of the garden, which most delighted the master's heart. Now upon a day, the master himself drew near to contemplate his bamboo with eyes curious expectancy. And bamboo, in a passion of adoration, bowed his great head to the ground in loving greeting. And the master spoke, bamboo, bamboo, I would use thee. Bamboo flung his head to the sky in utter delight. The day of days had come, the day for which he had been growing hour by hour, the day in which he would find his completion and his destiny. And his voice came low Master, I am ready. Use me as you will. Bamboo, the master's voice, was grave. I am going to take you and cut you down. A trembling of a great horror shook Bamboo. Cut. Me, down, me, whom thou, master, has made the most beautiful in all your garden. Cut me down, not that, not that. Use me for your joy, O master, but cut me not down. Beloved bamboo, the master's voice grew graver still. If I cut you not down, I cannot use you. The garden grew still and wind held his breath. And Bamboo slowly bent his proud and glorious head, and there came a whisper. Master, if you cannot use me but but that you cut me down, then do your will and cut. Bamboo, beloved Bamboo, I will cut your leaves and branches from you also. Master, Master, spare me. Cut me down and lay my beauty in the dust. But would you also take from me my leaves and branches also? Bamboo, alas, if I cut them not away, I cannot use you. The sun hid his face. A listening butterfly glided fearfully away. And bamboo shivered in terrible expectancy, whispering low, Master, away. Bamboo, bamboo, I would yet cleave you in two and cut out your heart. For if I cut not so, I cannot use you. Then was bamboo bowed to the ground. Master, master, then cut and cleave. So did the master of the garden take bamboo and cut him down and hack off his branches and strip off his leaves and cleave him in two, and cut out his heart, and lifting him gently, carried him to where a spring there was a spring of fresh sparkling water in the middle of his dry field. Then putting one end of broken bamboo in the spring and the other end in the water channel in his field, the master laid down gently his beloved bamboo, and the spring sang, "Welcome." And the clear, sparkling waters raced joyously down the channel of bamboo's torn body into the waiting fields. And then the rice was planted, and the days went by, and the shoots grew, and the harvest came. And in that day was bamboo, once so glorious in his stately beauty, yet more glorious in his brokenness and humility. For in his beauty, he was life abundant, but in his brokenness, he became a channel Of life to the Master's world. Beloved bamboo, servant of the Master, as it says in Matthew chapter 25, when we come to the end of that destiny. Verse 23, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness, your master's joy. We share in his joy when we become his servant, when we are willing to be laid low for him. Periodically, I struggle with this very message that I'm sharing with you. I struggle with my identity, and I struggle with my destiny. I wrestle against that sonship and, and have a hard time comprehending that he truly accepts me, that his affection is for me, that he approves of me, and I, and I wrestle back and forth with that. And sometimes I struggle with my destiny, and I struggle with being a servant, and I struggle with submitting to him, and I struggle with that whole concept of suffering and, and being sent, and I, and I wrestle with that. I was in, in one of those seasons sometime back, not, not all that long ago. And I felt the Lord give me a, 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 a very specific um, assignment to do. And every time those thoughts would come up, in my mind, causing me to fear or doubt or in unbelief around my identity and my destiny. I would remind myself of the words spoken to Jesus and that the same love that was there that the Father spoke to Jesus was for me. And so I found myself, and I I still have this in my folder and I keep it with me, to remind myself and I say and repeat and I remind myself and I say, I'm your son. You love me. You delight in me. You are my father. I am becoming your good and faithful servant, and I will share your happiness. The worship team would come on up. I don't know where this has touched you this morning. I want to give a benediction from this year of favor. Again, Psalm 84, 11 and 12. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in You. So this morning, I'm inviting you to a place of trust. Trust in His favor trust in His goodness, that He will withhold no good thing from you. That He loves you desperately, wildly. And that He desires to release His life through you as He did through bamboo. So perhaps like me, you wrestle with that sometimes. We're going to sing this song that speaks of that love that He has for us. He is jealous for me. And we're going to open up the altar again. Just, if you just want to come and present yourself to Him and and let that word that has been spoken today move maybe from here just a little bit further down in you. I think it's a lifelong process, but some of us get it quicker and some of us get it slower. I'm kind of in the slow class, the remedial class. Some of you further along in that than I am. But wherever you are, there's perhaps a deeper place that God wants to bring you into that. So let's stand to our feet and we're going to sing this out and please stay in the the sanctuary. Let's hold this as a holy moment if we could. I will give a benediction after this. But if you want to come and step out and receive this truth today, come to this altar this morning. He is jealous for me. Hallelujah. He is is jealous jealous for for me. Just open those hands. Just open those hands. now I pray this prayer every week just about but hear it afresh today in light of this year of favor in light of the word you've just heard I ask our Lord that today this day he may fill you afresh with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours. As you go from this place, sent to make disciples of all nations, may you go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, may his love and goodness and mercy chase you down every day of your life. I bless you, the people of God, in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, and all God's children said,